Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. As I think of this message today, Life Lessons from James, Changing Situations with God Power. Friends, we, we have all sorts of power out there. Mostly it's self-power. Yeah? We've been taught, do it yourself. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it isn't. But here, here's, here's what I need you to understand. There, there is no higher power than God. There's never been any higher power than God. And it doesn't matter how powerful a nation thinks it is. It's all under God. He is. He's always been. Now, there are some people out there who call themselves Christians, and I, it's not for me to say whether they are or they aren't. My guess is they probably aren't necessarily, but God will be the one who ultimately says it, whether they are or they aren't. But there are people out there that like to, celebrate, or to separate their Christianity from every other factor of life. We want to live life this way and then go to church and live God life when we're there. Can't. Either it's all-encompassing or not at all. Not my words, his. So we have to understand today that if you really want to change situations in life, God has got to be part of everything you do. He's got to be your first thought. He's got to permeate all your thoughts. He's got to continue in everything you do, in your work, at school, in your play, your belief system, and yes, gosh darn it, your politics. Okay? M way more than we even understand sometimes. You can't separate things. It doesn't work that way. God says, I won't put up with that, and he doesn't. And so when people say, well, I've been praying, and stuff's not happening, <laughs> I wonder why. It's pretty easy to understand, because you're not putting God first in everything. You're not, putting, you're not placing God at the place that he desires and demands. When you do that, then God moves, and when you don't, he won't, because you're a part-time Christian. You're a when-I-need-him Christian. God, I'll handle life, but when I need you, then I want you to be there. It's almost like he's your reserve. God doesn't operate that way. Never has. But you know what, friends? Let me tell you something. I'm sitting up here preaching to you today, but do you know I used to do that? And on occasion, I still do. Yeah? Come on now. I'm being honest. You be honest. Yeah? Okay, this isn't hard to understand. And I remember a long time ago, and this is something I don't tell anybody. My wife will tell you I don't tell anybody. But I went through a really, really difficult time in Beirut in 1983. I was a young corporal who didn't know spit about anything. And I remember being in charge of a squad, and I didn't have any idea how to do that because I, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, every Marine is a basic rifleman. We're all taught in squad tactics. We're all taught how to be an infantryman. But that wasn't my job. I was, I was administrator at the time. And I moved to the MPs eventually. But before that, I was administrator. And then when they blew up the barracks, 
Some of you may how many remember that when they built the barracks in Beirut. Okay, as soon as that happened, the colonel came to me and said, Corporal, we need NCOs in the field, and you're going to go ashore. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I don't do that. He goes, you do now. Commandant Marine Corps made you a corporal for a reason. You're going to go lead Marines that, that need leadership. And so I had no choice but to go. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to give you details, but let me tell you this, horrific. No 19-year-old should see the things that I saw. And anybody who's ever been in any combat situation knows what I'm talking about. We don't talk about it very often because it's painful. Okay? But here's what I'm going to tell you. There was a time when we were attacked so bad I couldn't see anything. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I could barely breathe. Okay? Because of the dust, the cordite, the smoke, and all the things. I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't find my squad members. And I remember being, have my nose as close to the ground as I could so I could get, try to get some air. Not knowing if this was the end or what. You ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? You ever been in a situation where you thought there's nothing to do? You don't, there's nothing you can do. And so I found myself weeping. I was, I was literally undone. I was unnerved because I'm a kind of person that can handle anything, but not, not, not this time. And I had no place else to go but to God. Anybody ever been there? Where you had no place else to go. And in your mind, you're thinking, God, you know, uh, I, I know you can, but I wonder if you will. Anybody ever been there? And then when you don't see anything happening, you begin to wonder if God can at all. Or in your mind, you think, does he even want to? And then you begin to re you reason your, in your mind as to why he would or would not. Because, and then you think of all the bad things you are and all the bad things you've done, and then you look at God and you think, yeah, well, I don't deserve it anyway. Anybody ever done been there? You don't deserve it, right? Well, of course you don't. That's what grace is all about, isn't it? Right? That's what it's all about. So you think, okay, now what? And I said, Lord, and I hadn't prayed for a very long time. Now, listen, I grew up in church, okay? I grew up in church. But part of me said, I, you know, I need God when I need Him, and I don't need Him the rest of the time. I can handle it myself. I was that person. Yeah? I was running from God. I knew I was called to ministry even then, but I wasn't going because it wasn't what I wanted to do. Right? And so I said, God, if you'll get me out of here, if you'll get me home, I will serve you. Now let's fast forward a little bit. He did, and I didn't. Anybody ever been there before? It's all of a sudden you forget all about what you promised. And every, every day I have to look at what God has entrusted me with, and that's you. Okay? And I have to I, I come to terms with that because here's the deal. What if God allowed me to live and to do what, just because of this, because at such a time as now? Huh? And every one of you has got to look at that and say, okay, if God's got a plan for me, where do I fit into all this thing? Because see, just like we're singing this morning, God's your rescue. You may feel like you don't have a place or you're whatever, but you do or you wouldn't be here. And as I began to think about that, and I was looking at this passage that we're looking at today, it comes from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. 
Turn with me and listen to what James is going to tell us in, in this passage. He says, is any one of you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Yes, right? Every day. Anybody feel like it's every day almost sometimes? Especially the older you get, things hurt on you, that, again, that you didn't know existed, Right? Yesterday, you know, I was painting and I was uh, uh, contorted, you know, doing the cabinets. And, and today, I have pains in areas I, I've never had pain before. And I'm thinking, really? Right? Really? You can't do what you used to do as you get older, right? Now, you watch all those kids jump up and run across here and leave, and you're like, oh, to have that energy. Who's ever thought that when they're doing it? Oh, wouldn't that be great? Because you would do that, and listen, you would run about that far, and you got to the door and be out of gas, and then like... Man, shouldn't have done that. That's life. See, and, and, and sometimes you get, you get huh, who, who among you has broken something or had an ailment or gotten sick with the flu or something, and you thought, death has got to be better. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? You're so sick, you feel like you're dying, right? And sometimes, you know, my dad used to say, sometimes I sits and thinks, and sometimes I just sits, right? Okay. Well, sometimes I just sits and moans. Anybody ever done that? Oh! And you hope no one hears you. And you hope that you know, your pride is intact. And you, you try to play the, you know, I'm fine, and then people are and you're like, oh! They happened to me at North High School in the wrestling room one time. I'll never forget that. Nearly killed me. And I don't want them kids to know it either. But here, here's the thing, guys. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Yes. Yes. The answer to that is absolutely yes. And then he says, then what should he do? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? I'd like to think so. He is to sing praises. I'm not sure that every time I'm cheerful, I'm singing praises to God. Sometimes I'm just cheerful and don't give him credit for that. Anybody? Is anyone among you sick? Well, I think we've kind of covered that a little bit. Yes. Then he must call the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, mind you, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Oh, my goodness. See, we almost never equate sinfulness with sickness. Do we? But notice James puts them in the same sentence. And why wouldn't he? Jesus did that. They brought the lame man to Jesus, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And they're all going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, didn't, we didn't bring him here to take care of his sins. Right? We brought him here to do what? We want you to make him walk, man. Huh? Isn't that why they brought him? And isn't that what we want God to do when we're sick? Don't we want God to heal our illness? But what if what, what, if, what, if, what if what ails us is our sinfulness? And maybe we don't even know it. Can you be afflicted through sin? Yes. Yes. Now, I'm not telling you every time you've got a flu bug, you must have done something wrong. I'm not saying that. But look, but you can't deny the fact that James puts these things in the same sentence, and Jesus actually did it. Okay? He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And you know what? We don't want to do that. We have no interest in confessing our sins to one another because we don't want another to know. 
Right? The last thing I want to do is come in here and say, friends, I have a confession to make. I cut somebody off on the highway yesterday. No, I didn't, mind you, because I had the trailer behind me. But I would have if I could have. I'm kidding. Right? See, we, we don't want to we don't want to confess to each other, and especially and there might be some things we're like, okay, I, uh, there's a uh, in in the Wilder Heart uh, class that we do, uh, they're getting together and they're talking. There's a pastor in the group, and uh, they're talking about you know being real with one another. And he said that he was a, an assistant pastor on this church, and the senior pastor said we're all going to get together. And we're, and we're all going to, you know, uh, uh, be more real. We're going to share with one another. And we're going to, you know, confess to each other. And we're going to uh, do away with the devil's hold on any of us, right? Because we're all together. And he can't bring it back to us because we've confessed it to one another and God. And guess what? Okay? And it, it's a great concept. And he said so he was at the point where getting ready to confess all these deep, dark things inside of him. And all of a sudden the pastor said, you know, uh, whew, i got to confess, you know, I've been using the church postage stamps for my personal mail. And he's like, what? He goes, here I am about to confess these deep things. All of a sudden, he says, post, he says, I'm like, oh, surface, surface, surface. Right? Difference of opinion about, right? I'm ready to get, you know, bear my soul here. And he's talking about postage stamps. Clearly, we're measuring what we're willing, willing to confess. Right? Postage stamps. I mean, we might confess postage stamps, but let's say we're not, we're not going to go down here, are we? And yet James is saying that's exactly what you should do. Now, I don't think, and there are, there are pastors out there, and bless their hearts, I, okay. A lot of times they want people to stand up and tell the whole gosh darn congregation the things, you know what? That, that, that's a public display. I don't believe in that stuff. But I do think that you need to get a trusted person or a couple trusted people and say, you know, I'm struggling with this kind of stuff. It's dark and it's awful and I'll, I, I, I need help with it. Because then they can pray for you. They can call you up and say, how you doing with that? Right? And they can, they can share it with you in going to the place and keeping you where you belong to get rid of it. That's a fact. Okay? There, isn't there truth in that? See, this is what we're talking about. Friends, he says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know what the problem with it is? You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody here today to say, I'm, I'm righteous and, and know it. You see how quiet it got? Because you know you might not be, but God said you should be. And how in the world are we going to pray for one another in that kind of authority and power and get things done if we're not? It's a fair question, isn't it? It really, really is. But you know what? Here, here, here's what I'm not here to do today. I do not want you to be at this place where you're like, gosh, here we go, another spanking. That, that, that is not, I, I do not want you to feel like, gosh, you know, I've been so bad, I, I haven't done it, and so, no. I, my, in fact, I want to in, in fill you and instill you with what God wants to do in you so that you can. Because, again, is God concerned with where you've been? No. Where, what is he concerned with? Where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. God, God wants you to do that. See, we look, we look at other churches and other people and think, oh, gosh, if we only had, we could only. Really? 
Because I have to tell you, I think in some regard, because we're so real, that we're more effective. I, 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 I think that. I think, I think people are drawn to us because we're real. I do. They tell me all the time. And I think that numbers in church doesn't really mean much. Because if the church is big, but they don't do anything but go for the music and fellowship, then they're not effective as a church anyway. Size means nothing. Never has. I want to be the church that's effective, not the church that's somebody. Right? Because your identity is in Christ, not yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with a church building this big and got a lot of things, you know, like Maryland and some of these others. There's nothing wrong with a church like Pastor Keith has, which, who grew up here, by the way, uh, and has a, the biggest cross in the area. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't want to be identified with our size or this or that. I want to be identified with him. Uh, right? Isn't, the, isn't that what we really all want? It should be. Okay? So, so how are we going to do that? Well, here, here's what I want to tell you. Number one, Life is ever-changing. How many of you know that life is constantly changing? Have you noticed that? Okay, and it can happen to any of us. Situations arise, health deteriorates, accidents happen, relationships change, and death occurs. Did I miss anything? Probably. Spouses, children, parents, friends, job, home, money, catastrophe, weather, acts of God, economy, government, politics, you name it. Right? Sometimes it happens when we're prepared, sometimes not prepared at all. Oftentimes it happens so suddenly we didn't see it coming. Other times we just, ha we just have time to prepare, and then sometimes we don't have time to prepare. Sometimes we had time to prepare and we procrastinate and did nothing. And in any case, these things happen, and they're going to happen, and there's not a gosh darn thing you can do about it. Right? Remember what I said? There's, there's sometimes you just sit and weep because there's nothing you can do. You just, you just, there's no, you've done everything and you can't do anything more. It, it's, you're out of options. And that's, that's the most frustrating, most scary, sometimes most angering place you can be. Because you, you can't do anything. And you know what? Most of the time, here's what we'll do. We'll try to deal with these things in human terms, with human authority, with human strength. And guess this, get this, human understanding. Well, good luck with that because it's not going to work. You've done everything else. And your understanding, you're going to try to understand it in human terms? You won't, which is why the frustration builds. And yet here's James saying that we should approach and deal with such things as this in God power. He doesn't come out per se and say God power, but he says you should pray, you should lay hands, you should anoint with oil, you should do all these things, and that all comes from God, see? He didn't say anything about us doing something other than going through the acts of connecting with God. And friends, here's the thing, the only way you're going to do that the only way you can possibly do these things is if you are a mature Christian. Because immature Christians don't do that. 
they're still wavering on that line of whether I'm a Christian or I'm still trying to control things myself. We, we, they're, they're like this on that line, yeah? They know they're a Christian, but they're, they're still doing that. I got something in my eye, I'm sorry. I don't know what it is, but anyway, so we're on that line, and we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, decide if, if I want, how strong Christian I want to be, and if I can really release, and if I can really trust God, or if I'm going to roll back into that area where I'm going to do it myself, see, because I, I have experience with that. We always roll back to what we know, and God says, yeah, and what I want you to know is what I can do, not what you can do. And if you know what I can do, you'll begin to, to, to you know, the line is here. You'll begin to go north with him. You'll start to go toward him more, and then you'll start to see him moving and working. And guess what? Now the confidence, and you'll stop going to self and, and start relying on him more and more and more. I know that because I've done that. How many of you have done that? And you know. So, so here's the thing. What happens then when you slide back to that other section again? That's what God's talking about. Mature Christians... Always go to God. And maturing Christians try to go to God more and more. Yeah? See, that? That's, it's a process and God knows it. It doesn't matter what category you think you're in today. It doesn't matter. Because you can still improve and still move toward Him. Everybody can. So God's not concerned, again, where you've been, but where you're going. He's not concerned with what status you think you're in. He wants you here with Him. And he says, you can do this. Am I not, am I not calling you? And, and, and this is what you should do. So what does James say about this? He says, well, when you're suffering, you should pray. You know, friends, I, I, I think that this thing, suffering, has always been a part of life. I think if I, if I read history and I look, I look at my grandparents, I look at you know, people, older people that I knew, I looked at people that were younger than me, I look, and I've seen suffering in every walk of life. And you know what? None of us are oblivious to it. None of us. Because if you, you, if you're, if you live a life, you're going to see suffering. Now, it began with the fall. Because God told Adam and Eve that since they had sinned against him, that all of mankind would suffer. He said humankind would be subjected to adverse conditions in life, and that physical death was now going to occur. All because they were disobedient. Because before that, the devil couldn't do anything to them. All he could do was entice. But now that they chose him, now he has authority. They gave him that authority. You understand that, right? Right. How many of you theologically understand that Adam and Eve gave authority to, to the enemy over humankind? They didn't understand it. You could make a case for it, but the fact is, God said don't, and they said, well, we're going anyway. And they did. And now, but the beautiful thing is that God said, okay, now, so if you chose that, so you're going to live in that, but here's the deal. But I'll always be with you, and you, you, can, you can get out of that by coming back to me. You can reduce what he can do. You can even stop what he can do. See, that? there's the problem. We want to dwell on what we did or didn't do. And God says, dwell on what you can do through me so that he doesn't have that authority with you. And so all of this stuff begins to happen after God banishes him from the perfection, the serenity, and the perfect atmosphere of the garden, and they entered into this cruel world where Satan rules. And guess what? We all live there. Okay, we all live there. And so now that death occurs... The means for it to take place are affected. Illnesses, accidents, old age. <laughs> right? It just happens now. 
And so, likewise, humankind was no longer protected from the rigors surrounding life, and yet life is still sweet, isn't it? Even though we might not be in the garden. I mean, you've heard the song, I never promised you a rose garden. Remember that? I'm dating, I know. I don't even know that song. Yeah. See, I, I like it because most of you know. Some of you are like, what song is that? And on what channel on my iTunes would it be on? Right? You know? But life is still sweet even so. And, but here's the thing. It, it's not so sweet without God, I think. Even though we all enjoy life, I, I, I can tell you, life with God is way sweeter than it was without Him. I, I, I'm, here to, I'm the first testimony that you'll hear today telling you that. Anybody else believe me? Anybody else got a testimony on that? No, I'm not going to give you time to talk about it, but you know it. I would do it, but I'm afraid where we're going to, okay, right? But here's the thing. You've got to grasp with this. There, James uses two Greek words, uh, and here, here's what they are that I think is important. Uh, 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 kakos, which means evil, and, and pasco, which means to suffer. In other words, he says we're literally going to suffer evil. We're going to suffer at the hands of evility. You're going to suffer because of evil. Do you understand? And you know what? Most of the suffering in the world is because of evil either done to us or we've done. Right? It's true. And if we didn't, the devil did. Flip Wilson said it. He was right. We laughed at him, but he was right. You had a choice, Flip. That's the difference. Right? The devil's the cause, but, and he didn't make you do it, but he offered it to you. Anybody? Right? Now, this anguish, it can, be, it can be physical, it can be emotional, mental, and even spiritual. And trust me, every one of us understands every one of these things. We've all suffered anguish at all, in all those areas. And, and, I, and I think that Job 14 is pretty clear that all people are going to have trouble. It says, mortals born of a woman are a few days and full of trouble. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sometimes people suffer because of their own sins. Did you know that? Sometimes we suffer, and it's our own fault. The parable of the prodigal is clear. The kid made his own decisions. He went out, and then he didn't have, and all he had to do was stay with his dad he'd always had. But he learned, didn't he? Sometimes it's our own fault. We don't like to admit it because we always want to blame somebody else, but the fact is we're at fault. And you know where we went wrong in society? When we started telling people it's not your fault. That's where we went wrong. It is your fault. It's like when couples come to me and, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I did say those things. I did. But she made me do it by what she said. <laughs> right. No, of course, guys, I'm sure none of you ever did it. It's just me, I'm sure. But here's the thing. I remember, uh, and Carol is home today, and she probably remembers this. Uh, Carol and Jeff were in the bedroom doing something. Carol, you're probably about five years old, six years old, I don't know. And I don't know if you remember this or not. And she doesn't like it. I'm putting her on a spot, but I remember. And so I've told some of you this. And, and Carol and Jeff were close in a lot of things. They're, they're very similar in many ways. Uh, and and they were in the, they're, they're, everybody else is out doing something else, and the two of them were doing something. I don't know what it was. And, and all of a sudden, they were, I heard this, did, 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 and all of a sudden, I heard this silence, and then I heard Carol. Aah! And so I went in, and I said, and, and, and I, Carol was crying, and she'd kind of stopped now. And Jeff had these, he, he had... Jeff had these real big eyes and big crocodile tears in them. He knew he'd done something. Okay. And I said, what happened? And Carol just looked at Jeff, like own up to it. 
And Jeff said, what all started when she hit me back first? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. See, you, you, you think of this and you're like, uh-huh. I had to, because, listen, we've all made that excuse for ourselves. Right? It's life. Sometimes we sell sins. Christians, you know, are going to suffer simply because we're believers too. Did you know that? Because you're a believer, the devil's going to pick on you. How many of you know that for sure? Right? I mean, 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted. He says that verbatim. You will be persecuted. Not if, but when. Sometimes suffering just happens and nobody's at fault. It just happens, right? Circumstances. In John 9, 1, 3, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, what, are you crazy? I maybe didn't say it that way, but, but he's like, what? Really, you guys? Listen, nobody sinned. It happened so that the works of God might be displayed in this guy. So in other words, God may allow circumstances in your life where you suffer so that you can show people who you belong to by the way you deal with it. Now, none of us want to say, oh, goody, I get to go get persecuted today. It's awesome. Use me, God, use me. I like that persecution. Nobody came in here today saying, oh, here I am. Show me the persecution. Right? And I'm pretty sure most of you were like, please don't make it me. Please don't make it me. Make it the person next to me. They're stronger than I am. Huh? You know you do. So how should we handle suffering? Well, there are wrong ways to handle it, don't you think? First of all, some of us turn to desensitizers like alcohol or drugs. Uh, Proverbs 20 is clear about that. Some of us like to buy things to go, go shopping. Somehow that makes us feel better. Some of us turn to food. Food fixes everything, particularly if it's the kind you like. Amen. I, my son-in-law will tell you that meat is his dessert. Okay. Some of us just run away and regress. And I'm not going to get all the things. And sometimes we just start doing things that's outside of our normal habit. Right? You know what others of us do? 1 Corinthians 10.10 says we blame God. Come on. Don't tell me you've never blamed God. James 5.9 says a lot of times we'll start blaming others. And Paul says in Philippians 2.14, sometimes we just complain, <laughs> right? Those are the wrong things to do. What are the right ways? Well, 1 Peter 4.12-13 says we ought to rejoice. Now, I know that's, that's an oxymoron. How in the world do you rejoice when you're going through trial and persecution? That's, that's outside of anybody's sense of right. But God says that's exactly what you're to do. And you know what? You know who can do it? A mature Christian. An immature Christian can't do it. They won't do it because they don't understand it. But a mature Christian, you can and you should. Amen? And how, how are the immature Christians going to learn if you won't? Right? And aren't you glad that the greatest example teacher we ever had was Jesus Christ and he did? How about that? Now, you know, I, I could go on about that, but I think you get the idea. He says in verse 10, we ought to patiently endure. We don't want to endure. And we certainly don't want to be patient about it. How am I doing so far? 
He says you should pray. And let's face it, you and I both know that we go to prayer as a last resort, oftentimes. Yeah? Come on. Who's willing to admit that sometimes prayer is the last thing you do? And you know what else he says in 1 Peter 5, 7? Leave it in God's hands. We don't want to because we want to control it, doggone it. And we think that we're faster at it or have a better way than God does. And he's not quick enough with it. God, God not doing what I asked and doggone it. What am I going to do here? I must do it myself. No, of course, I, again, right? I'm the only one that ever did that. Leave it in God's hands. There's, there's the thought. So then we come to this other idea. He starts, he starts talking about being cheerful. He says, you ought to be cheerful and you ought to sing praises. And I thought, well, what exactly is cheerful? What, what is that exactly? And Webster says that it's full of good spirits, being merry, ungrudging, cheerful obedience, conducive to cheer, likely to dispel gloom or worry. And, and, and Barnes notes on the New Testament says, literally, to have your mind well. I look at a lot of people and think, your mind ain't well. Right? And I'm not, I'm not being facetious here. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, you can be funny with that. But the fact is, I look at some people and you know their mind is not well. They're, they're not doing well. Okay? They'll tell you they are. You ask them what's wrong, nothing. I'm fine. But their mind's not well. There's a lot of things that aren't well. Yeah? Sometimes it's you. He says, happy, free from trouble, the opposite of affliction or suffering. Well, I look at society today, and there aren't very many people that have very many days where they're cheerful. They're, they're, they're in this affliction all the time. And is there any wonder why? I can tell you why. Because we've become a godless society. That's why. We're a godless society, and we're not maturing as Christians. That's why we have these bad days more than the cheerful days. It's a fact. That's a fact, friends. You, and deep down, you know what? I, you, know, you know I'm, I'm right. You know it. Because you know what brings joy to you. And let's face it, when you don't have joy, you're not full of God. Hmm? So the reason that this is important is that humans are a naturally negative people in our modern society. How many of you could, could, would agree that's probably true? We're, we're naturally negative people. And while we used to think the best of one another, we now think the worst. Right? You're so cynical now that you automatically think the worst of people versus the best. It wasn't that way. I, I, my wife and I try to watch Andy Griffith, you know, at night before we wind down, and those people thought the best of one another, almost, and everything. And you say that's a television show. Yeah, but that was life. It's not, it's not that way. You know what? Because somewhere along the line, people started taking advantage of each other, and they got away with it for a while, and now it's so rampant. You, you're afraid to pick up the telephone, especially if you have a landline. Not even your cell phone now. And you know it's a scam. You know it's a scam. It, let me tell you this. If you ever get a call from Microsoft, Microsoft isn't calling you. I'm telling you right now, Microsoft doesn't call anybody. They don't need to call you. In fact, they don't even want to take your call. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone calls you for saying that they're, and they have a foreign voice, and they're calling from Microsoft, <laughs> hang up the phone. R right? And you're going, oh, gosh. Who, who said, oh, gosh, just now? Microsoft does not call you. Friends, we don't trust one another anymore. We can't. And that's negative. That's negativity. 
You're, you're, you will seldom find people who are cheerful most of the time. And if you do, you know what? I've come to the opinion that if you find a cheerful person, someone who's cheerful all the time, they're probably a Christian. I will bet nearly 99.99% they're a Christian if they're cheerful all the time. Anybody want to take, anybody want to take the deal on that? Want, want to make a bet with me? I'm not a betting person, but I'll bet you. I'll bet you they're a Christian if they're cheerful all the time. Because I know, I know where, where, where this joy comes from. I know what the source of joy is. And so do you. We don't go there all the time, but you know where it is. If you're going to have joy in a world like today, it's got to come from God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Now, we'll fill it with other things and try to get it from other things, but let's face it, it doesn't last. King Solomon said in Proverbs 15, 13, ESV, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. <laughs> yes, indeed. He says, sing praises. Seriously? Yeah. And we ought not go any further than the Psalms in the Scripture. Listen to the Psalms of David, even in his darkest times. In fact, the 23rd Psalm is a great example, isn't it? The Lord's my shepherd. How can I ever want anything else? But sometimes we still do. In fact, the natural response of a cheerful heart is singing. For the Christian, it's singing psalms. In Acts 16, we find about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> I mean, they're in jail! Wrongly, I might add. And not only that, it wasn't a very nice... It isn't like... Listen, I, I know what our jails are like today. I'm telling you. I know. And it... <laughs> They're pretty nice in comparison to what these guys had to go through. Pretty nice. I'm sure Paul and Silas would have said, great, if they said, listen, you can only watch TV for an hour today. They said, oh, okay, right? Right? Okay. You see, Paul practiced what he preached. And let me tell you why. He was praising God and singing psalms even in his desperate situation. And so he has every right to give us advice. He has every right. Indeed, he has every right to give us a mandate. Because the mandate is coming from God anyway. And so he does. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I read it right out of the ESV. It's right there. The fact is, the Christian who does not enjoy praising God in song will not enjoy heaven very much. We well, didn't see that turn coming, did you? Did, did you? Now, come on. If you don't enjoy praising God in song, you're not going to like heaven too much because that's what you're going to be doing. Well, assuming those who call themselves Christians are, are going to make it. If you make it, that's what you're going to be doing. Listen to the words of Jesus himself through John the Revelator in Revelation 14. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Give me an awful... And, and there's other places where it says constant worship and song. They, in fact, we're going to sing the song of the Lord. And only, only those there will know it. Do you think you're going to be there? 
then you're going to be singing that song. Let's move quickly. When you're sick, you're to call the elders of the church. This is the big one, not because I, I, think, I think we screwed this up a lot, friends. First of all, is it miraculous or providential? I, I, I had to really touch that today because I think you can handle this. I think, I think you can get it. I'm going to be teaching you today is something that we don't talk about in, in Bible studies or in churches, these separate things. This is something we're going to do in a theological study with pastors or, or aspiring pastors. It's a fact. I'm, I'm telling you. Okay? Because every single healing that happens isn't miraculous. Did you hear me? Every single thing that happens where you're healed or, or isn't necessarily miraculous. We say it is because we don't know any better, but it isn't. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, it also is providential. I want you to understand that. Providential and miraculous. Most pastors won't touch us because they themselves don't understand it. And I'm not going to tell you I'm some... I'm, what I'm saying to you is there's a definite difference. Am I right, pastors? There's a definite difference between miraculous and providential. Yes or no? It is, okay? So let me explain it to you. First of all, what's the difference? Miracles are things that cannot be naturally explained. Cannot be naturally explained. But providence is described as God's care and preservation that He exercises over all things that He has created in order to accomplish the ends for which they were created. Okay, you understand the difference? So when we call the elders to lay hands on us when we're sick, this is clearly providential in its origin. Because if this is miraculous, why do we need to call the elders? You understand? If, if, if God just wants to do it, He doesn't need to do it through anybody. But He has given us the authority as Christians, because the Spirit that lives within us, to invoke His providence that He put in us. You get it? In other words, you have your own God powers in you. You didn't before the Spirit. But since He's in you, you have them. You want to know why some churches are better at healing and, and things that are outside of our understanding? Because they practice them. Do I think that sometimes they practice the wrong ones in the wrong way? I think it's possible. But I'm not here to, to, uh, to debate that. I'm here to say that some, we have it already, so why aren't we doing it? Okay? Why aren't we doing it? Have you ever wondered why you pray for people and nothing happens? Friends, I've seen people heal of cancer at this altar right here. I've seen it. Who's seen it? We had it happen. I watched it. The doctors couldn't believe it. They were stunned. Now, you could say that was miraculous, but it could also be providential. I'm not sure which one it was. It could have been miraculous because it's something the doctors were stunned about. God had to have done it. But there's a difference between the two things. And I want you to understand that God gives us the authority to do these things. We can call upon God to perform miracles, but we can do certain things. Uh, we can do that without the elders. In other words, when we call the elders to lay hands on us and pray for us, this is providential because God can simply direct our physicians in the diagnosing and the treatment of what ails us. He didn't come in and fix it. He, he helps our physicians do it. And we prayed that they would be able to have the enlightenment to do it. That's providential. But if God comes in and removes cancer, that's miraculous. Yeah? You see? There's a big difference. God sometimes uses His providence through us as He clearly did in Mark 6, 13. It says they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. God didn't. They did. You see it? They did it by the power in them. 
You're like, what? It doesn't say God did it. It says they did it. They are constantly doing that stuff. And you know, friends, to insist that this was miraculous is false for two reasons. One, many charismatic Christians claim that all answers to prayer are miraculous. I disagree. I disagree. If the Spirit wasn't in us, yeah, maybe so. But it is. But more than that, Jesus said we're to pray for things that we need for protection, for blessings, and all those things. And again, those things are providential, as we find in Matthew 6, 11, and, and, and 3 John 2. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This is something God wants to give us on a daily basis. That's why it's daily. So all you got to do is pray for it, and God's going to provide it. You understand? That's not miraculous. He's already offered it to you. But he wants you to ask. You see? Dear friends, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that it all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along. Again, these are both things that God wants to do, and it doesn't take a miracle for it to happen. God's already said he wants to do it. It happened the same way for Paul. Acts 28.8, the father of Publius was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after praying and placing his hands on him, he healed the man. Come on now. Now, come on. Don't tell me it doesn't say he healed the man. I did, I did the search on every Greek word out there. I did it in the Latin versions too. Okay? This is what I found. It says he healed the man. Not God. Paul did it. Now, could Paul have done it if the Spirit of God was not in him? No. No. That's why it wasn't miraculous. It was providential. God wanted to do it. People told Christ, if you're willing, you could heal me. He says, I am indeed willing. He's always willing. You see, friends, there are certain things in life he might not do miraculously. But there are things in his will that he just automatically wants to do already. The problem is we don't know the difference. And you know why we don't know the difference? Because we're not spending time with him enough. We're not close to him enough. Because the Bible says if you're close to God, you can know the will of God. Huh? And how do you tell a person that healing is not in God's will for them? Because we think it ought to be all the time. And that's why people get angry. Because I prayed and God didn't do it, and so, so I don't believe in him anymore. Now, there's, there's a lot to this we don't understand. I get that. But God gave Paul power to do this. Was it a miracle? No. God already decided he would do it through Paul. But would it have happened if Paul didn't go pray on a guy? No. You understand this? So why call the elders? For one, God commands us to. <laughs> right? Doesn't God say call the elders? Secondly, we can't assume that they know what our issues are. I mean, do you assume that your doctor knows you're sick and it will take care of you without you calling them? No. And not only that, God has clearly and repeatedly stated that there is strength in numbers. And God can continue to give elders authority and power to heal if he wants to. Sure, we're commanded to heal and cast out demons in Jesus' name. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 16, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and those people will recover. Now, I think some people take these things to the extreme and say, well, let's just see what God will do if I... No. 
No. And, and if somebody brings a snake in here, I'm, I'm going to throw you right back out. It ain't happening. I mean, okay, I'll look at it for a few minutes. It's going back out. Right? But then he says, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. In other words, he's going to give you the authority to do those things that he did. But we're not doing that. And so I begin to think about it. Well, maybe we need to understand who the elders are. Is the pastor the preacher? Yes, but not always. In the New Testament, there are several Greek words that are translated elder. In fact, all pastors are definitely elders, but not every elder is a pastor. Do you understand that? Okay, let me explain. Elders are those who are either older and experienced or those who are strong in their faith. It's one or the other. And there, there are some other things translated elder, but those are the two ones we're, we're, we're interested in here. The word used by James for calling the elders in this passage is the word presbyteros. Presbyteros, and that absolutely means those of strong faith and authority in the church. doesn't matter your age. Somebody who has got, whose God has got their ear, has got their heart. Somebody who's connected to him. That's who that is. And you know, look around. You know who they are, don't you? You know the people in every church pretty quickly who's connected to God and who isn't really. Don't you? Come on, guys, wake up. Don't you? Okay. So that's a presbyteros. Is it the pastor? I'd like to hope so. But you don't just have to call the pastor, see? These are people who you want to call, as God can and does give them authority to heal or ask God for miracles. Aren't you? If you need that, aren't you going to go to somebody that you know is connected to him? Okay. So what are they to do? Well, first, it says they have to pray. Why? Because all healing is ultimately in God's hands, isn't it? They should anoint with oil and call upon the name of the Lord. Why do this? Because they recognize and proclaim that whatever they do, it's only by God's authority that it happens anyway. That's the only way it comes. You understand? Colossians 3.17 tells us so. Secondly, they know, it's complete, they, they know it's completely dependent upon God. They can't do it. That's why even in the Old Testament, Elijah stretched out over the boy, but he had to go to God first because he couldn't have done it. He went to God. And God get it through him. But you know who got the credit for that? He did. And he had to tell him, but it's through God. And then they said, well, it's through the God. God did it. Can supernatural things be done through Satan? Yes. But that's a sermon for, yeah, yeah, we, 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 need, we need to do that one. Okay, we'll talk about that the other day. Lastly, he says, when you're in sin, confess. When you are in sin, confess. Problem is, we don't want to admit it's sin. We want to make a deal with it. Somehow it isn't. I know that because, well, not only have I done it, but you've done it. I see people do it all the time. You see, sin affects a lot of things. And number one, it affects fellowship. Sin affects fellowship first with God. You ever notice that when you're in a sinful state, you don't really go to God very often, <laughs> if at all, and probably don't want to, right? I mean, what did Adam do when God came walking in the garden? Act like he didn't know he was there. Of course, none of us has ever done that. And we wouldn't have done it if we were there, would we? It affects our fellowship with other believers, too. You know why? Because we don't want anybody to tell us we're doing wrong. Tell me we won't. 
Tell, tell, me, tell me you want to be around other Christians so they can tell you how wrong you are. You already know it. You don't need them to tell you. But somehow you're not, right? Somehow you're not. They're the one that's wrong. That's why you stay away from them. <laughs> right? Do you know, though, that we're called to fellowship with both God and other Christians? So what do you do with that, then? Are you going to be disobedient to that, too? Yeah, you will. You see, when we're involved in simple behavior, being with other believers and with God, well, that's not something we typically do. You know it's true. I know it's true. That's the first indication that something's not right in your life, isn't it? But you're not willing to be told that, are you? You're not willing to admit it either. Lastly, we are to confess sin to those whom fellowship is affected. In other words, I've got to confess my sinfulness with God and those that I ought to be hanging with. Yeah? And as our worship team comes, listen to this concept here. You have to confess to God or you might as well not confess it at all. And if you won't confess your sinfulness to God, you remain in the status of sinfulness. And I got news for you. Grace will not cover you. The Bible says, if we will confess with our mouth, then. Yeah? Doesn't it say that, friends? If you will confess with your mouth, then. What are you talking about? You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, yes? If you're sinful, you're not going to do that. You're going to know it, but you're not going to confess it. You know why? Because if you really thought Jesus was your Lord, if he really was your Lord, would you be sinful anyway? No, you would not be. That's the point. You can't live with one foot in this world and one foot in that one and think somehow that grace is going to cover the bad stuff. It doesn't. You have to change. You see, sinfulness is what separates you from God. All of it separates you from God. And if it's unconfessed, you are separated from God. And if he returns and you're separated from him, does it matter how many Sundays you were in church? Does it matter how many other sins you confessed before it? No. Can one sin keep you out? I don't know, but I'm not willing to risk it. Are you? We have to confess to those we've wronged too, don't we, to make it right? We have to confess to those who can lift us up, who can encourage us, who can keep us accountable. Why? Because we need to listen to the scriptures from the ESV that tell us why this is true. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 3, 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a big one. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 1 John 1.7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us, get this, from all sin. I, I, don't, I don't know how much more you would really need than those. Friends, the Lord has not promised you a life free of problems. 
but he has promised us a way to meet all of life's problems, hasn't he? So who, who are you trusting today? You, others, your government, your doctor, your mechanic, your lawyer, or are you trusting him? That's, a, that's, that's not only a fair question, it's the ultimate question. Because the mature Christian handles life's changing situations in the proper way. He does it with God power. And you know what, friends? You can have God power right here, right now, today, this instant. Some of you need to be a mature Christian today. You just haven't. Some of you are mature Christians, but you're not exercising your God power. And some of you have never really experienced God power in the way that God wants you to. But you can. You know what's holding you back? You. You're here. It's available. A number of years ago when I ran our district uh, children's Bible camp, our logo had a cross and it had a power cord stuck out of the end of it. And it said, plug in for power. I never realized I would use that in a sermon one day. But I see how true it is. You want to plug in for power, it's right there. The cross is what did it for you. Christ gave it to you by his spirit in you. And he had to die for that to happen. Plug into it today. You can do this. Stand with me.